This week on The Rail Splitter, we are going to be talking about Captain Abraham Lincoln and his experience in the Black Hawk War. These two great generals are dedicated to a proposition. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Welcome to episode 14 of the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. Uh, we are going to talk today about Abraham Lincoln's brief but significant military experience in the Black Hawk War. Uh, but first, I wanted to make a real quick uh, statement. We try to record the show ahead of time uh, just to give ourselves some time in case we need to edit and to make sure that we hit our goal of posting every single Thursday. Uh, so, uh, because of that, uh, last week you'll notice we posted an episode on August 31st and we did not mention the victims of Hurricane Harvey and the folks dealing with all of that uh, situation in Texas. So we certainly wanted to send some positive vibes uh, down there. Um, so um, it's not that we don't care and forgot to mention it, it's that we it hadn't happened yet because we record ahead of time. However, right now uh, our brothers and sisters in Texas are dealing with quite a lot. So we wanted to send some positive vibes down there. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, of course, we need to do our introductions. I am Rail Splitter Jeremy. Uh, with me is Rail Splitter Nick. Hello. What's up? <laughs> Very nice intro, Nick. And we have Rail Splitter Mary. Mary, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Good, good. And I, sorry, I delayed the intros a little bit. I got going. I really wanted to get no that Hurricane Harvey thought out there and send those positive vibes. Uh, speaking of Hurricane Harvey, I think it's a good time to uh, look at leadership in general and, and how we as a nation, how nations and how people respond to tragedy, to natural disaster. Um, and I think we can kind of relate that a little bit back to President Lincoln. So what have you seen, uh, the two of you seen from leadership and how um, that has kind of maybe reflected us the state of affairs uh, for us here in the United States. Well, as a Canadian watching, um, when I first saw Trump in Texas, it was to me, he was void of empathy almost, you know, um, and then, you know, I'm seeing pictures from the past of, you know, George W. Bush embracing people, same with Obama, and just the empathy that they had. And it reminded me of President Lincoln when I read stories of him when he would visit soldiers at hospitals or when he went to the battle at Petersburg, he just had so much empathy and it seems so much the opposite of what I'm seeing right now. And that's, it's not a good thing what I'm seeing, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think one of the, I mean, the primary job to me as a president is to provide security for all your um, people. And then when something goes wrong that, you know, puts them in harm's way, it's important that you show that, that you care, that you understand, um, you know, to the best of your ability of what they're going through and, and that you're going to be there for them. And I just don't know if, you know, President Trump did a good job with that um, when he went down there. Um, you know, when he's given that speech there, he's talking about crowd size. I mean, that's not really showing um, that, that you care. I mean, maybe he did some stuff um, off camera, but the stuff we saw on camera just... 
it came across i think he thought he was like almost at a rally it came across like a political campaign rally yeah he literally said what a turnout like yeah they're displaced from their homes they don't have like literally they don't have anywhere else to go yeah that's was, what i thought too it was very disconcerting uh to see and and i do think there's an element of um you kind of have to play a role and it is a little bit of a figurehead role at times. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that, um, you know, I was as much of a George W. Bush hater as anybody. And I've started to come around to realize that it could have been much, much worse. Um, but I remember, um, after September 11th, how inspiring it was to see him speak and to see him at ground zero and to see him embracing people. And, and I couldn't stand the guy's politics. Um, but that was, there was you know that those fires of patriotism kind of light in you when you see that, um, and I just and I don't get that from our current president, and I, I don't know if I'm cloud my vision's clouded because of my disdain for him or if it's a lack of leadership. I'm going to go with a lack of leadership, um, but it, you know to get back to Lincoln, I think that his resolve and his empathy and his compassion. Um, I think in in the biggest crisis the nation has ever faced um, was essential to his leadership and was essential really to saving the country because if the the public support and morale was as important as any battlefield could ever have been. To me, it's like if you're if you're a leader and you're empathetic and then you know you have you care and stuff like that, it, it's like a no brainer. You're there, you go out, you meet to people. You're there, um, and you try, and we've seen that with just about every president when there's been a disaster like this, from Obama to George W. Bush, um, and as many others, all the way back to Lincoln, you know, who have gone out there and shown it. Um, so that I think it was just kind of disappointing how that came across, and, and I, don't, I don't know. And then the way he tweets all the time, still mm -hmm. tweeting about mm -hmm. other political yeah. agendas when the focus should be tweeting about you know, let's get money out there, fundraise. I mean, this is going to be years of recovery, millions of dollars needed. You know, as a president, you got to get out there and get people to donate. I mean, that's what's going to really, you know, fix the situation. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think they deserved better. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts, I guess. I think also goes back to, you know, speaking of tweets, it also goes back to the words that um, I was at that time, you know, how empathetic are they in their words? And you look at, you know, Lincoln's second inaugural, with, like, bind up the nation's wounds. Like, it's just so, like, let Vaughn and heal. And he just spoke to the nation. I'm sure they all felt, anybody that read that speech or listened to it, he felt by it. And leaders got to find comfort and, like, provide comfort in times of disaster you know there's got to be that balance between having empathy and then having leadership yeah i and, agree um and i do want to mention um and i don't want to fixate on the leadership necessarily we're doing that just because this is a podcast about a president obviously the most important thing is all of the nameless or you know not famous i guess people who are you know, using their own boats and doing everything they can to help people and all of those people who bravely faced the hurricane and are trying to survive and try to try to find salvage what what's left of what they have and and, and continue on living. So obviously, those are the the real heroes. Um, yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. You know, in yeah, class, I always kind of talk to the kids. You know, what is a hero? Um, you know, I kind of always figure historical figures are kind of more the leaders. 
And the true heroes are the ones that do it without gaining the fame and do it because they were put in a tough situation. They made the right decision, which you are seeing, um, you know, in the thousands down there in um, southeast Texas. So, um, you know, my thoughts go out to all the people down there and hopefully um, the worst is behind them. And then hopefully we'll start the recovery phase here. Agreed. Agreed. So totally agree. Again, sending as much positive vibes down to Houston as we can. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, uh, back to the topic for the show. Um, we would like to talk about Abraham Lincoln's service in the Black Hawk War. Uh, I think that this is important to talk about uh, for a couple reasons, but I do think that this is one of, if not the most formative experience in Abraham Lincoln's early life, kind of maybe, you know, all the way up through his pre-Springfield life, I would say, um, an extremely important um, few short months um, in his life, I think, that informs uh, the rest of his life and his political career. Uh, so uh, it is the Black Hawk War. If you uh, are listening, we're playing the goal song from the Chicago Blackhawks, who were named after Blackhawk. I'm not a huge fan of the using indigenous people as mascots. Mary, I despise your favorite baseball team's logo. Um, but anyway, I thought it'd be fun to play the Blackhawks. So, the Blackhawks, by the way, realized that it wasn't cool to be named after an indigenous person in that way. So they used to be two words, Blackhawks, like the person Blackhawk. Now it's one word. Oh, yeah? In case I you did not know that. Yeah, that's true. So I now, do know they won three Stanley Cups here recently. Yeah, since what, 2010? And is, they're not Canadian because real hockey's played in America. Yeah, they're just full yep, of... They just, I agree. Have, <laughs> they just have several Canadians and Patrick Kane. Um, but anyway... Uh, We're going to ignore that point, though? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that's true. Jonathan Taves is definitely Canadian. I think um, he's American. Okay. Um, but anyway... And so, it's toes, anyways. Toes. Um... So the Black Hawk War um, kind of emerges as Lincoln. It's Lincoln's only uh, military experience formally before he's commander-in-chief. But the actual military engagements really are fairly non-existent for Lincoln. However, the experience uh, is extremely important. Uh, I do want to take one second to just give you a quick show note. Uh, We're trying something a little bit different with the show uh, for for future episodes. Uh, just because it's an awful lot of work making sure we provide a decent product for all of you faithful listeners. And we want to make sure that um, we're informed, that we know what we're talking about, and that we can give you some interesting tidbits. Um, so one of the three three rail splitters is going to kind of take the lead on each topic when it's more of a history-heavy show. Um, and then the other two rail splitters will kind of offer commentary questions, what they know about it. Um, and we're still going to definitely have a roundtable-type discussion, but... Uh, we're going to have one of us take the lead on uh, topics. Um, I took the first one of this kind of newish format, uh, the Black Hawk War, uh, but you may hear more of one voice than others kind of in shows coming down the pike, but that's because um, it's hard researching for an hour-long show once a week. <laughs> so we wanted to kind of share the work a little bit um, so that we can kind of take a few weeks to brush up on things that we need to brush up on and um, offer kind of a show focused on one of our perspectives with commentary from the other. So enough about the show. Let's talk about the Black Hawk War. Hey, hey, what started the Black Hawk War? This sounds like a joke. 
No, I'm actually oh, asking, you the asking the question. <laughs> You're the one who did the research. I did. I did. You had like a really smirky look on your face when you asked that. What sort of the Blackhawk? I was Hawk War? starting a new format. Well, like... well, Nicholas, it's funny you should ask. Uh, the Blackhawk War was very um, quick. It was a short. Uh, was it con- even a I don't war? Know, I don't know what would you call it. It's not a collection of skirmishes. If that, yeah, a collection of skirmishes, a conflict of some sort. That's uh, what I would call. It. Yeah, it's really. I think it's it's part of the larger generations long conflict between Europeans and European Americans and indigenous people of um, the plains mostly, but you know, obviously the whole country and it's that history is obviously long and dark um, and important to respect and know about Um, this specific incident came about when chief Blackhawk who was a leader of the Sauk and the Muskwaki tribe um, basically came back across he had been he had agreed you know agreed kind of in quotation marks i would say he probably would say he didn't agree right well, from america's perspective they agreed right ultimately the, not that i'm tired with that yeah. right the, the narrative from the american standpoint is that they ceded land that is now illinois to the united states government and blackhawk led a group of 800 to a thousand ish um people back across the Mississippi with the hopes of getting land that was really very much theirs back. And so the United States government to push that conflict down and to push them back across the Mississippi um, raised an inordinately large number of troops, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 between the state militia and the military itself um, under General John Reynolds. Uh, with the goal of pushing the indigenous warriors out of Illinois back across the Mississippi River. Ultimately, in the end, 72 um, white American soldiers died, and somewhere between 600 and 1,000 Native Americans were killed. So this is a very lopsided fight, um, and it was um, unfortunate, unfortunate uh, circumstances surrounding it. Um, Lincoln decided to, now this isn't, uh, just to set the stage a little bit more, this is in 1832. So this is very early in Lincoln's life. That's um, a long time ago. A long time ago. I don't know how many score it is exactly, but a lot of, sc- a lot <laughs> more of score. More than four. More than four. More than four and seven. Um, so Lincoln. Well, there's a couple of interesting names that, who are also there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to say this mm-hmm. for later, but, uh. You know, Zachary Taylor goes and be president later. Was there? Uh, Jefferson Davis um, was there. Uh, Robert Anderson from uh, Fort Sumner. You know, the the, the Quagmire episode. Yes. There. Yes. Um, and Albert Sidney Johnston as well, who uh, is the Confederate general dies at Shiloh. So right. So right. a lot of interesting names actually um, kind of took he, part. He may at have been point. at Sumter too. I don't know. Maybe not. So I feel like he was. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. You know, a little tidbit from the peanut gallery here. Some would call it tidbits. Others would call it thunder stealing. <laughs> I was that that the, the Anderson one. I was just gonna drop that like a like a bomb into a wall at Fort Sumter, and you just jumped in and just did it for me. And I dropped it like it was hot. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for that. <laughs> so spoiler alert: we we get a visit from Robert Anderson in a little bit. Um, so yeah, 1832. So where is Lincoln in 1832? Um, he's not doing a whole heck of a lot. Like literally days before this whole thing happened, 
he had like a completely failed little adventure trying to ferry some stuff down the Sangamon River into like the southern part and it just his raft didn't work and it ended up you know it was just a disaster he didn't make it very far so he had to walk all the way back so he kind of comes comes back into New Salem pretty downtrodden and then finds out that we're, everybody's going to war we're all going to go go try to push Blackhawk and his his warriors out of Illinois so he uh, he decides to join them. So he and 67 others from New Salem responded to a call for troops for the state militia. Uh, so um, he really essentially says, like, I really didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> he was unemployed. Uh, so he volunteers. Very, very significant point in the process. He is among a company of about 60 to 70 people. And there's, like, the town aristocrat i guess you could say like one of the more wealthy people in uh the area this guy named william kirkpatrick who's a mill owner the town douche town douche. <laughs> <laughs> i like we just assume because he's got money i'm with you man. i'm not necessarily saying that i'm just well know. he just, he's this guy's convinced william kirkpatrick is convinced he's gonna be elected captain yeah like a douche like that sure um but lincoln uh who was actually kind of reluctant to run for the position and really was like a failed store clerks failed failed merchant um but tough as hell tough as hell he owned a warehouse that ended up failing so he's now failed in business two to three times um is not not the most confident probably um in his life very reluctant to run for the position yet his peers elect him as captain of the the unit, the, the company. Company. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Company. Uh, so he's elected captain, which is the first electoral victory of his life. And later on, right before he started to seek the presidency in 1859, he said he called that election, being elected captain of his company, a success which gave me more pleasure than any I have had since. That's a pretty bold statement. Do you think he included? Yeah, that's like, what I thought too. Yeah, I was like, 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 are we just talking elections, or are we like, talking say, yeah. like life? Like other, yeah. He's like, don't tell my kids, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, but he said it was the. Because he gets some other pleasure on his journey too, doesn't he? He does, and we'll, dude, you are all about stealing the thunder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, so I apologize. That, yeah, we'll get to that. So. Um, he kicked got the douche's ass in a vote, right? He did. It wasn't yeah. even close, and it was interesting. It's kind of it kind of reminded me of like play school or play playground kickball or something. They literally stood there, and instead of voting, like the the soldiers would line up behind the person they wanted. So like they you just like got to watch everybody pick pick who they were going to go with. So obviously, once the tide kind of goes in one direction, they're probably like, "Well, I'm not going to go stand behind Kirkpatrick unless I really want a job in his mill." So they all kind of lined up behind Lincoln. Could you imagine Trump in a scenario like this? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked enough about him. Um, so I don't think the significance of, of the election of to captain of the company could be understated. I think it's extremely important in his development as a leader. Why do you say that? It doesn't always have to be questions. I'm like I kind of left a pause there for you guys to jump in and give your. No, thoughts. I yeah. I agree. It does. Like it. It's his introduction to leadership, and he does it reluctantly. I like how you pointed out the reluctance because I think that's key, and I think a lot of 
a lot of his greatness comes from some humility. Like he's, it's the it's a very strange combination of confidence and humility. You know, he's always kind of thought of himself as the, you know, came from nothing, self-educated, as a point of pride and a point of self-consciousness at the same time. I think throughout, and I think this is a good example too, where he's like, I don't even have a job right now. Like I'm doing this because I, I need the money. I need the something to do, um, and he ends up being elected captain. How deep into politics was he at this time? I don't quite know. He had not yet run for anything. Mm-hmm. So this was his first election, his first victory. Um, and then is he like an, a participant at all? Do we know at this point, like out there campaigning, actively going mm. to, you know, hear people out? I don't think so. Not yet. Okay. Just, I mean, as much as anybody, I suppose, just kind of talking mm-hmm. about politics and whatnot. Um, but, you know, he didn't, he lived in New Salem which is, you know, Springfield's a small town, but New Salem's a very small town. So um, I think the the closest frame of reference, I think if you've listened to a lot of our shows, would be the wrestling episode. This is, we're in that similar time frame where it's definitely still some pretty wild frontier-y type stuff. Um, much less dignified than the, the nuances around the Fort Sumter quagmire. Sorry for any background noise. Nick's playing with my kids' Legos right now. I'm a fidgety person. <laughs> I need a Lincoln fidget spinner. I'm sure one exists. Hop on Etsy. So he's elected captain of the company, which is extremely important, as we kind of talked about, from a leadership standpoint, confidence standpoint. And one thing I learned kind of doing the research uh, for the show today, um, it wasn't like – I always kind of felt like it was important and it was kind of a nice nod to him, but it wasn't a lot of leadership experience afterwards. Like he really did run that company, and they were really very much on their own. Um, and he definitely was like the leader of a, a fairly sizable group of men. And it wasn't just because it was elected by the troops themselves. It wasn't a really, it wasn't a ceremonial thing. He truly was a leader. Mary, and you bring up a good point about his humility. Like the first thing he said after he won it was, I'll be damned, Bill, but I've beat him. So I mean, he was very surprised that he beat uh, William Kirkpatrick, the, the town uh, douche, rich guy, that too. Um, so officially, we're looking at the 4th Illinois Regiment of Mounted Volunteers, and this is under General Samuel Whiteside. And if anybody is familiar with northwestern Illinois, there's a Whiteside County named after Samuel Whiteside. Um, it's kind of interesting how relatively little I knew about the Black Hawk War, and this is like right all up in our hood. Like All of this stuff is very, very close to where Nick and I are sitting right now in Rockford, Illinois, it's basically here and everywhere west of here that's still in Illinois. Um, and up into Wisconsin, too, which we're extremely close to. Fort Atkins, I know. Lake Goshkanag, they like actually were like looking for him around there. And I've been in that lake. You've True been in that. It's, it's, got a, it's got a greenish tint to it. Um, yeah, but, you know, I've been to Anchor Inn right on there, too. Cool. Koshkanag. Shout out to Anchor Inn. Cool. <laughs> um the makeup of the 4th Illinois Regiment um, was described by one member as the hardest set of men he ever saw. So this is a you know, very rough group of dudes that um, Lincoln is now leading. Um, and one little side kind of funny story, um, Lincoln had very, very limited training 
Um, they're not scholars aren't 100 percent sure if he had any training at all, and if he did, it would have been briefly in Indiana, just kind of preparing for this stint. And that was probably the majority too, who, um, you know, kind of, you know, answered the call for volunteers. Mm -hmm. So his company was probably right in the same boat as him, with very little mm -hmm. military um, experience. Right. Um, one funny story that kind of is perfectly just shows this early on. He, they were just, you know, marching to up where they needed to be to try to find Blackhawk and his men. And he for, and they came to a gate, and he forgot the command. Apparently there's a command for, like, go through that yeah. gate. He forgot the command for it. So uh, he yeah. shouted, this company is dismissed for two minutes when it will fall in line again on the other side of the gate. <laughs> Genius. Not well, I thought that shows how quick he could think on his feet when he didn't know something. He was like, well, how can I adapt to this situation? And he adapted to it perfectly fine. Yeah. And like, have them halt and help them to go through. Yeah, sure. Just go over there. Yeah, that's. I'm sure if he would have said go through the gate, it probably would have worked. I, mean, I don't know. That Yeah. Um, Either way, though, got the job done. Yeah. And it, Well, if he just said go through the gate, we probably wouldn't know, and we wouldn't have, you know, this episode. Nice, nice little... Yeah, like his duration, his service in the Black Hawk, they just stood outside a gate because they couldn't figure out the command to get exactly. to Exactly. It's like a computer program. Like, I don't know the command. You're like, well, you're screwed, dude. You it's can't. like Blazing Saddles when they cover that toll booth in the middle of the desert and they have to send the guy back to get coins. Great movie. Mel Brooks. <laughs> I like Mel Brooks. I'm not as familiar with Blazing Saddles, sadly. Um, he did have to kind of deal with some, you know, difficult situations as far as leadership because, you know, he, you know, 30 seconds before he was elected captain, he was a peer for all these guys. His first order was replied with, go to the devil, sir, which I believe was the early 19th century way of saying GFY, go to hell, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, he had to kind of overcome that those issues. Um, he served from late April of 1832 until mid-July, uh, which doesn't sound very long, but that was actually three tours. So he did three three tours of duty. Um, a little and, bit different than the tours of duty now. Yeah. Um, although he saw some pretty nasty stuff, um, arguably or certainly stuff that probably could have caused PTSD. Um, no evidence that it did necessarily in him, but still some pretty shocking stuff. Uh, so they left Sangamon County uh, and New Salem, marched west to the Illinois River, uh, north to the Mississippi, and then went over to Rock Island, which is in the Quad Cities between. That's when there's there's two of those cities in Illinois, two of them in Iowa, and that's where Illinois kind of juts out. Iowa's actually north of Illinois, at that spot, um, and that's where he was mustered into official U.S. service. And the lieutenant who mustered him into the U.S. service was none other than who? Major Robert Anderson. That's oh. right. He was lieutenant at the time, became Major Robert Anderson, and became the hero of Fort Sumter. I always find the word mustard weird. <laughs> when I was typing that out in my notes, I'm like, this is such a weird way to use mustard. Sorry. I wonder if colonels ever muster anybody. Colonel mustard. Yeah, that's that's what I like. That. You like that? Good one. Good one. That's right. I'm here all night. Um, this show is going to go down in history as the best rail yeah, splitter episode. Please, if this is your first rail splitter you've ever listened to. Go back and yeah. listen to a couple others. Um <laughs> At any rate, so <laughs> in the Quad Cities, which is not far, I used to I, I uh, served a couple of internships there in my younger days. My my Blackhawk War experience, not really. <laughs> what working uh, wasn't John Deere. John something? Deere, it's the biggest employer in the Quad Cities. Um, who actually 
invented the self-scouring plow right around the same time this is happening. It was 1837. This is, if you're ever a trivia person, these useless things may come in handy. Anyone else? Maybe not. Um, so anyway, so he's in the Rock Island in the Quad Cities where he gets mustered into U.S. service. Then they went up the Rock River. Nick, how far away from the Rock River do you live? Uh, four blocks. Four blocks. My My dad lives like one street over from the Rock River. Um, I used to live two blocks over. So the Rock River goes through our city of Rockford. I've touched water that Lincoln's been in. Ooh. In, in a way, yeah. Me too, I suppose. Wow. It's really, they, it's the brownest river you'll ever see. Yeah, People say it's smart. because it's silty. Oh. It's like silty water. <laughs> oh. It's, yeah. We have a lot of civic pride, but people who don't have civic pride for Rockford talk about that river as if it's <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. It is. It's silty. It's not dirty. It's silty. <laughs> Which is just really... A fancy word of saying is dirty. Silt is tiny or dirt. <laughs> um, so he went up the Rock River, too, and this is interesting, Dixon's Ferry. Dixon, Illinois, the hometown of Ronald Reagan. So True uh, that. Yes, yeah, so he went... Uh, up the Rock River to Dixon's Ferry, which is now Dixon, Illinois, then south to Ottawa, uh, and then ultimately that group disbanded. Ottawa, Illinois will come oh, into cool. play. Oh, I thought it was Ottawa, Canada. Yeah, I was Ottawa. Like, no. That is no. a far yeah, away. I saw Ottawa, and I was like, oh, did you go that far? <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, we've got a Canada connection. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ottawa, Illinois, and spoiler alert, that's going to come up again on the show because Ottawa, Illinois hosted one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. That's true. I believe the second or third one. So. And the bridge that's currently there is Abraham Lincoln Bridge. That is true. That crosses over it on 3951. That's right. So if you go south through Illinois, uh, you will see Ottawa and Abraham Lincoln Bridge. And that's about it. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty boring things. drive. Yeah. You could probably, if you could tie your steering wheel to stay straight, you could probably yeah. fall asleep <laughs> and just go. Yeah, you will drive through Lincoln, Illinois, which was a city named after him well before he was even president. That is true. Cool. And you will hit the great University of Illinois State. That's true, too. The ho- the the home that Stangy built. Yeah. <laughs> That's Nick's last name, in case you're wondering. So physically, literally, he went from the Illinois River up the Mississippi, along the Rock River, back down to Ottawa, um, and had some experience through there. He never actually saw combat, but I think this is extremely important. On May 15th, he saw they came across 11 uh, corpses. All of them were scalped, um, and some of them were actually decapitated. So this was from the Battle of Stillman's Run, um, which is, um, it was on Stillman Creek, which was named after Major Stillman, who was the commander who ended up losing that battle. He was had many, many more people than Blackhawk's um, forces did, but Blackhawk ended up winning that battle and Lincoln came across some of the after effects of that situation and saw scalped corpses, decapitated corpses. Um, and really, I think that was an extremely important incident in his early life. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, you've seen the results of, uh, you know, what war and a skirmish or whatever you want to call it, but, uh, you know, of actual military combat can lead to so he's seen it firsthand um which i think definitely stays with him and as it would stay with anybody i'm sure the first time you see a scene like that um and then i think you see some of that you know when you see something like that i think it starts to build up you know um emotions in you and how you kind of view stuff and i think you see some of that come out to how he treated the wounded and others during the civil war 
Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I was thinking about that today as as I was reading over um, the show notes that just the stuff he saw probably contributed to the great empathy he had um, with soldiers during the Civil War, with visiting the hospitals and all that, that he, he just knew. You know? Right, right. I think so. And I think that that kind of weighed on him every time he had to make a decision where thousands of young people um, were facing mortal danger. Um, it is not the – Stillman's Run was not the only time he came across situations like that. Um, in Ottawa, where he would later debate Stephen A. Douglas – um, they saw the mutilated bodies of many women and children, and they were actually hanging upside down um, as they kind of went through. So this is clearly something that obviously you can't unsee, and you you know is going to stay with you for a while. Um, and then uh, he noticed uh, that his men were afraid. Um, so he, you know, because you see that, and you can see, okay, this is what if we run into these people that we're supposedly looking for, this is what could possibly happen. Um, he was on a horse because he's the captain, and that was traditionally what they would do is the, the officers would ride on horseback while the rest of the troops would march. He had borrowed the horse. He returned that borrowed horse and decided to march along with his men because um, he saw that they were afraid. He felt that that would be a better leadership move, and it was far more dangerous to, to be on foot than it was to be on horseback. Yeah, it was kind of you know putting himself, hey, I'm one of you. I'm not here necessarily, you know, um, to be this, you know, end all say all leader, you know, ultimately I'm here right with you. We're trying to accomplish the same things. And, you know, that's just a good quality of a leader. I think that goes back to our conversation. We're talking about Trump and now he handled hurricane, you know, Harvey and, um, just not putting himself out in a situation where you could see the devastation firsthand. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, you know, really highlights kind of the character in the leader Lincoln is. Yeah, it's putting he's putting himself down at the same level as men, and that just shows, I think, his just his humanity and his humility as as a person as well. You know, he knows he's their leader, but at the same time, he also still knows he's their he feels their equal as well. Yeah, and I think that that's a a pillar of strong leadership is to be able to say like I. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do, and I'll do it right alongside you if the if if it, the case warrants it. So, um, in May, his service could have been up, uh, but he uh, re-enlisted, and he basically said, "I was out of work, and there was no danger of more fighting. I could do nothing better." So basically, he literally <laughs> says, "I got nothing better to do." Well, and I think I mean that, that's something you hear from veterans throughout history. Not necessarily I don't have anything better to do, but kind of looking at the circumstances and, you know, hey, why not, you know, enlist again? Um, this is an opportunity that's there, um, you know, and, and provides um, experience and other things of that nature. And most of all, I think he, he was getting paid, too, which yeah. he wouldn't have been otherwise. Like, I'm sure jobs were probably tough to come by at that time in the area and just i think he ended up getting close to 125 dollars at the end of his service didn't he yeah the, which is a pretty significant amount of money I yeah think. did he get some land yeah or... he got some land out in iowa too yeah. mm -hmm. i'm gonna resist the urge to make an iowa joke some land out in iowa all right do we got <laughs> listeners in iowa we do we do okay never i and love iowa I, love I actually i do, I do love iowa I, I love driving through uh -huh. it um, so, and then he ended up eventually signing on for a third tour, 
Um, and in that tour, he came across another uh, situation where there was tons of carnage. Uh, this place was at a, a spot called Kellogg's Grove. Um, and the way he described the scene, he remembered it vividly, and he described it. The red light of the morning sun was streaming upon them as they lay head toward us on the ground, and every man had a round red spot on the top of his head about as big as a dollar where the redskins had taken his scalp. It was frightful, but it was grotesque, and the red sunlight seemed to paint everything all over. So obviously he has a way with words um, and paints a pretty pretty colorful picture of the carnage that he saw in Kellogg's Grove. And what he had his troops do there was they just buried all of the, the dead um, and kind of try to give them a prop, proper burial. So uh, he, I think his experience from that kind of gets played down to he never fought anybody and he made this, you know, everybody kind of references this witty line about he had more wounds from mosquitoes and more bloodshed given to mosquitoes than anything. He, he played down his role in the Black Hawk War as much as anybody, uh, but I think it was extremely important, um, especially from him building a reputation and really establishing the foundation for his political career, certainly locally in New Salem after he got back. Um, how did he do that? Well, when they weren't marching and coming across carnage from battles that had happened, they were they would do foot races, they would swim, they wrestled, uh, they played checkers and chess and cards, and of course, Lincoln told stories. Um, and there was a pretty verifiable or pretty reliable story that he and John Todd Stewart, who was his law partner for a while and a friend of his from Springfield, went to Galena, which ended up being the hometown of Ulysses Grant, by the way. Uh, he and John, John Todd Stewart went to Galena, and they were seeking female companionship. <laughs> bom chicka bom wow. <laughs> 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 that a boy, guy. Go, go get it. Well, I mean, he's what, 20-whatever. I get it. Yeah. He's got needs. Uh, so he ended up in a brothel, our good old Honest Abe. And that was not his greatest pleasure, though. No, no, that was yeah. being, being, being elected, elected. <laughs> over the douchebag. Yeah, being elected captain was a bigger pleasure. Uh, Lincoln said, I don't know what he's doing of wrong, this but. little trip to Galena in the brothel, Lincoln said he had a first rate time on that campaign and they were well provided. The whole thing was a sort of frolic, dude. You don't like to think of old honest Abe, but you know, he's Spielberg should have done Lincoln all on that. <laughs> I don't know if that's Spielberg's uh, <laughs> genre necessarily. Um, he I did. think we just thought of a you know a, a porn parody right there. Let's let's just keep moving on. I'm sure. I bet there's one. I bet one exists somewhere. Um, this week in Lincoln. <laughs> if anybody sees one, we're, remember we're school teachers. We cannot engage in this on social media. Um, he did get into trouble a couple times with his superiors. Uh, he was disciplined for allowing his men to get drunk, uh, which is interesting because he wasn't a big drinker. Um, one story I do well, want to tell. That whole drunk story, didn't they, like, they called them out to get in line the next morning, and they were so hammered that they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And then and then Lincoln's just like, Lincoln, like, got punished for it, too. Yep. yep. So, yep. um and the, most people that I was reading uh, claimed that, you know, it wasn't Lincoln's fault. Like, he didn't know. Like, the yeah. guys stole, basically, some guys stole, like, the captain's liquor. Uh, and then, I forgot, man, I forgot what he got for it. But then they all got hammered. Yeah. Or slammered. 
Yeah, and that's I think that's kind of that's typical in war. I think in veteran stories when there's little fighting to do, they tend to get in trouble doing well, other stuff. And I think it kind of shows you the character that you know when you're talking about a volunteer militia, you, you know you're going to get kind of this. Um, they don't have the military discipline that um, people who go through the service do, and I think that showed with some of the stuff that Lincoln, the way he leads, you know, coming to that gate, how he handled that, um, to the guys going and getting drunk, and you know, some of the other stuff um, that took place. That was just kind of the characters that were out there, you know, engaging in this conflict. Yeah, and I think Lincoln wasn't well known for disciplining the troops either like he wasn't good at that and two i think he was with his friends as well like were the clary's boys not in mm-hmm. the same company mm-hmm. as him and then um jack armstrong was his first sergeant this, i think so. yes and this is kind of like a the wrestling episode part two like you see the same characters and like they're just kind of now in the next stage of speaking of, of wrestling lincoln suffers a loss he does he suffers a loss they basically, him and another dude, were fighting over like uh, a spot to camp for the evening, and so they have an engagement, and he gets thrown twice. Yep. Twice. The great Lincoln. See, you know, Hogan lost, <laughs> Cena lost, all the greats lose every once in a while. Well, and but it's, it's what you do after the loss. That's, well, and his troops were yeah. like trying to make excuses, like, "Well, it really wasn't. He really didn't get thrown. It really wasn't a loss." And he was the one. He was the one that said, "Like, oh no, he he beat me. He threw me. Yeah. That was." I lost. That's that's a John Cena move. That's why I compared him to John Cena. Um, you can't see me. You can't see me. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to tell one quick story, and then I kind of want to get uh, the two of your thoughts on just kind of this whole experience in general. Um, there was a situation that arose where an old uh, indigenous man came to the camp, and he had a note signed by the Secretary of War, Lewis Cass, saying that he was of good character. So the Lincoln decided that he wanted to let the man pass, and several of Lincoln's troops menaced him, swearing that he was a spy, swearing that he had volunteered to fight with the Indians or the indigenous people. Um, And Lincoln stood between this indigenous man and his troops and said, men, this must not be done. He must not be shot and killed by us. His troops wanted to kill this guy, and he said no. even when some of the some of the men said that he's probably a spy, Lincoln wouldn't budge. One of his friends and troops said, "This is cowardly, on your part, Lincoln." And Lincoln draws himself up to his full height and says, "If any man thinks I'm a coward, let him test it," which is a badass thing to say. I just want to point out. So if any man thinks I'm a coward, let him test it. One member said, "But you're bigger and stronger than we are." And he says, well, then you can guard against it. Pick a weapon. So he's willing to, you know, he's certainly friends with these guys. He's willing to look the other way for their infractions. But when the rubber met the road, when it was time to make a decision about what was right and what was wrong, he was willing to defy basically his entire company and say, no, this is not right. We're not going to kill this person. And he was willing to put himself in between and to fight anybody, even by allowing them to have weapons. Um, And then... As um, William Green, one of the people that were there, said he would do justice to all, though the heavens fell. So I think this is another really good example of who Lincoln was as a person, even then. Or another great example of how he's like John Cena. (laughs) Hustle, loyalty, (laughs) respect. Or The Rock. Just bring it is basically what he said. Here's your your steel chair. Just bring it. (laughs) 
that's read when I was reading that story earlier today when a city rose on you know his full height I actually thought of that scene in the movie Lincoln where he says I am the president of the United States clothed in immense power and that just you know he seems like such a sometimes quite unassuming individual but he wanted to he used his size and his strength and he knew it would work for him and I think the story with the you know the Indian or the native coming into the camp also shows his he humanity like he was willing to protect him um go against what company wanted to do and I think it shows the beginnings of a very strong leader in Lincoln yeah, and I think that it's it's important. I, I really think that that those little anecdotes, you know, uh, writers of Lincoln don't choose to put them in there just because they're fun to to learn about. Although they are, I think it does reveal a lot about him emerging, and you see those themes come back in his story, um, for sure. So um, once the service was over, he was paid one hundred seventy-five dollars and was given forty acres of public land. But the popularity uh, he had among both soldiers and civilians was really what made the difference. Um, he did serve with John Todd Stewart um, and Edward D. Baker, who are both extremely important figures in his life and his development, especially Edward D. Baker, who he named as one of his kids after, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and another important thing is he had, you know, he didn't see combat, but he got a taste of war. And his selection as captain pretty, you know, very much lit a fire in him for future electoral contests um and really i think that um spurred him on i think i think he's got his start in politics because of that election as captain and not long after that is when he made his first bid for elective office so what do y'all think what why is why do you why would we spend a whole episode in the black rock war why do we think it's so important i think it's lincoln's first you go ahead mary Okay. I think it's his first experience with leadership, um, his first experience being elected, and he so he didn't want it, but he was. And I think he that kind of showed him, like, yeah, this I can be a leader. Um, it was extremely beneficial for him when it came to politics, and he was able to extend his reputation, and people got to know him. And as you said, Jeremy, he met people that were very influential, like, you know, John Todd Stewart, who, after the war encouraged him to study law and became Lincoln's first law partner as well. And I've read, you know, arguments that say that had he not met John Todd Stewart, he might never have become president. So it's extremely important for him in life. And I think it's important for people who, you know, were, you know, Lincoln enthusiasts to study the Black Hawk War. I realized in, you know, like reading about this episode and just doing this episode, how important it is to him, especially his early life. Yeah, I think it gives a glimpse into kind of the his uh, leadership style and character, um, just kind of the some of the comments that he made and some of the actions he did, as well as like years later, you know, talking about um, his service, you know, the quote they use, a good many bloody struggles with mosquitoes is how he described it. You know, you think about some of these politicians now who kind of over glorify their role in war to use that as a, you know, um, a stepping stone to get political, you know, power you know lincoln's doing the exact opposite kind of making a joke out of it because i think he realized and he saw you know some of the gory scenes and he understood that you know what war what war or what military conflict can lead to 
And this isn't something that you should just glorify for personal benefit, even though he did get personal benefit out of it. Uh, but I don't think that's what he went in there seeking. Um, you know, I think it was more of the opportunity came up. He probably had pride in the country and the territory he was in, in Illinois. Um, like we talked about, he had many failings, um, you know, right before he joins. You know, it provides an avenue for, you know, him to get some experience to go out there with a group of guys that he gets along with and, you know, in a venture. And, and he learned from that and he grew as a person. Um, so I just think you see a lot of um, good character qualities came out of that. Right. Um, and I, I really think if you were kind of to diagram, I don't know, to like to, to, to look at Lincoln's life as a timeline, you can see very distinct turning points or significant moments. And if you look at his life before the Black Hawk War and you look at his life after the Black Hawk War, you can see there's a distinct change in his focus and his determination and his confidence and all of that because, you know, before he had, it was really just trying to, having very low paying jobs trying to get out on from the shadow of his father and try to try to make a name for himself and to to be a self-made person um and after the war i think you see a more of a belief in himself that it wasn't going to be necessarily work that was going to get him as but but academics and um investing in himself believing in himself and you see him run for office you see him go into the law profession and that is a very significant turning point and really, it had very little to do with combat. It probably helped provide him an identity. You know, you're 23 years old. I remember when I was 23, you know, you're just trying to figure out what the hell am I doing? Right. <laughs> no, for sure. Like, yeah, that's, then, that's exactly it. I'm still trying to figure that out. But well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the military piece, and I don't want to downplay that, but I don't know if that really played into it until he was commander-in-chief. And mm -hmm. I do think that those... And he, and he mentioned it several times. I do think those experiences came back to him um, for sure. So, um, And there are some, some parallels with modern-day politics. When he was running for president, there were a lot of people that tried to claim that, that his unit did nothing and that um, there was very little. You know, They were really trying to discredit his service, um, which he was kind of self-deprecating about it anyway, so it didn't really matter. But like he, even then, they were trying to swift boat people. Um, which is kind of an interesting, interesting parallel to uh, modern politics. Um, but I think locally, the impact locally, as far as Sangamon County and New Salem, the importance of the his service in the Black Hawk War really can't be understated. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts on the Black Hawk War before we move on to our This Week in Lincoln? No, no. I think that was perfectly awkwardly... <laughs> Off topically done. Yeah. Well. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, so we're more, you know, more by me. We're uh, all the negatives. We're continuing to learn as podcasters, and I think that um, it's we're we're having fun with it. So that's all that matters. So please continue to give us your feedback. Give us your thoughts on the Black Hawk War. Um, I noticed as I was reading through my notes, we messed up on the timing of something. So if you notice where we made a small mistake, hint, hint, it's about Robert Anderson. Uh, See if you can tweet at us and let us know or participate on the Facebook page. Uh, we're going to read one of our reviews, but first we're going to get to our favorite weekly feature, This Week in Lincoln. This week we have a This Week in Lincoln submission brought to us by Rail Splitter Nick. Yes, it actually, I should give my brother um, a, some credit for it because he actually found it. My brother went to 
Wizard World, I believe it's called. Little, in little shout out for Curtis Stangy, everybody. Uh, yes. Hey, Kurt. <laughs> um, and then uh, he was at Wizard World, which is basically like Comic Con in Chicago. And he was going. Um, if you've been to any of these Comic Cons, they always have like a floor where they got, you know, comics and artists. And he came across this drawing that has um, Lincoln and um, President Trump in it. And it's kind of, you know, Lincoln looks a little fed up with uh, Trumpy. And he kind of grabs him by the shirt, and then, you know, we have talked about his strength, and it kind of has the big words at the bottom that says enough. So um, I'm trying to get the name of the artist here who went ahead and drew it to give him a shout-out as well. Uh, struggling here for that. But we'll have it posted. We'll put the name of the artist up there too. Um, it's kind of a funny picture, so kind of came up last second here. Um, so just kind of interesting Drew Blank is his name. So Drew Blank drew this, and we'll have it posted on Twitter, I believe. Did you seriously just forget the guy's name, and his name is Drew Blank? I, I did. That is true. You drew a blank? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that can't be. Yeah. This I episode, wish you planned that. If you planned that, that was. <laughs> some would say this episode has gone off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody split split those. But, all right. Um, please, it is very, very important to our growth as a show for you, one for you to mention us to other history buffs and other Lincoln enthusiasts, but also to provide us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go to a different episode, listen to that, <laughs> it's and then that. review. I us. thought it was fine. Um, and when you have an episode that you're featured on, I'm gonna. Oh, this is not here. directed at you. It feels directed at. It feels a little bit directed at me. I, I thought like, you did awesome, Jeremy. Thank you. I think Same. you did a good job. I feel like I'm not on my A game today. All right. Well, we'll, we'll let's just agree on that. And move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did get a review, and thank you so much. Sunrab U2 gave us a four-star review, and we thank you so much for that. He says, being a massive Lincoln fan, I really like this podcast, but I find that I have to constantly turn the volume up and down depending on who is speaking. The levels are definitely louder on some of the hosts. Also, it is very difficult. It, it was very difficult to hear Dr. Kendi's voice during the recent interview. But maybe this is all just me. Thanks for this podcast. And thank you, Senator Abu, too, uh, for the constructive feedback. And we do welcome that. Um, we had a little bit of sound issues today, so we're working on that. I'll admit that that's one of the things that I have not been able to spend as much time on as I would like. And we as hosts would like to do. We will do everything we can to and, do a better job. And we agree with you on the Dr. Kendi. So that was a phone interview and then unfortunately not the greatest reception that we got. So, But we felt right. the content was important and his time was very precious so we didn't want to have to recall him and redo it. And I still think the substance came across in that one. Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, it was. I, I'll be honest. I was very intimidated talking to a National Book Award winner and yeah, you someone were. as prestigious as as Dr. Kendi. So um, I do think uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to, to check that out. Um, the sound could be better, but I think you can hear him uh, well enough to at least um, mm -hmm. have a good experience with that episode because he is obviously a very very bright person who has yeah. a lot to say and uh, says it well. A lot brighter than us. Yes. Well, me and boys. Not speaking for you, Mary. So, um, 
So we will be back next week. We've got some big plans for the show, and we're really excited about some things that are coming up and some ideas that we've shared as a group. Yeah, three Lincolns and a Washington. Three Lincolns and a Washington <laughs> equals 16. So if uh, we are looking for ideas for our 16th episode, we want to do something big for it uh, because for obvious reasons, number 16 is very important to I'm us. I'm personally going to give out $16 to somebody. To a lucky listener. To a lucky listener, Nick is going to give $16. And all you have to do is just tell us what you did with that $16. It can be you Ooh, had, you had some lunch. Or it could be you bought almost all of a Lincoln t-shirt. I think we should get a picture <laughs> with it, too, an Insta. Yeah. So pay attention and please uh, let us know some ideas for our 16th episode and we've got some really cool ideas coming up too i think you're gonna enjoy as well well we kind of need an idea we're like running out of episodes to keep relying on the listeners come up with ideas. yeah I, I would encourage you to do so so any parting thoughts mary or nick well i thought that was a great show and i have to say i learned a lot about the black hawk war um and just how important it is like for studying lincoln it was very very interesting i also great enjoyed learning. the black hawk skirmishes <laughs> um no but uh i agree and please don't forget to rate us um and give us a review on itunes you can even do it right after yes, this thank episode you for, and thank you for listening as well oh yeah definitely thank you for listening all right thanks everybody uh thanks for listening tell your friends you can tweet at us at rail splitter pod on twitter and instagram you can send us an email at the rail splitter podcast at gmail.com uh, there is a Facebook group. If you just search Rail Splitter, uh, we post all of, our all of our episodes there. We will be back with another episode next week. And until then, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. <laughs> we lost Mary, are you there? <laughs> like, wow, she, yeah, she hates this. Uh, what the f yeah, we go we go live the air. You're hearing it all behind the yeah. scenes right now. I said what the f when she was still on. You just said it again too. We're gonna have to put an E on this if you're not gonna oh. edit it. Oh, I'm editing the out of this one. God. <laughs> oh. Hey. Hey. Sorry. Like. That's okay. I'm like. It's okay. Well, the your video just froze. I'm like, God, how boring am I right now? Like, because <laughs> like you you weren't moving at all. I'm like, holy. This is, and then I like, I pause and I'm like, okay, nothing there. All right, moving on.